Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. The billionaire class has been taking everything, and the working class has been left scraping, paycheck to paycheck, just trying to survive. It's time to put an end to that class war. For the first time ever, thousands of United Auto Workers members are striking against Detroit's big three auto companies and walking off the assembly lines. The union, United Auto Workers, walked out of three factories, one at each of the big three automakers, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, the parent company of Jeep and Chrysler. So far, it's a pretty limited strike. It's it's one factory at each company, but it is historic in that they are striking against all three companies at one time, which has not happened in the past. This is Jean Whalen. She covers the auto industry for The Post. And she's watching this strike and the more militant stance taken by the UAW's leader, Sean Fain. And so he came to power saying, we're going to do this differently. We're going to really fight hard. There's been this big period of inflation. We want more and we're going to go after it. And it's time to pick a side. Either you're with the billionaire class or you're with the working class. My colleague, Lauren Gurley, has been out on the picket line at the Ford plant in Michigan the last few days, and she talked to a worker named Jared Politi. It's about the corporate greed. You know, they're just, they're banking billions of dollars. Jared said he's been living with his mom because he can't afford his own place on his wages, much less afford to buy one of the cars he's helping Ford build. I can't even afford the stuff that I build, and it's kind of getting just ridiculous. From the newsroom of the Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Monday, September 18th. I'm Arjun Singh, and I'm your guest host. Today, the U.S. auto industry is facing a historic challenge. Gene breaks down what workers want, what's at stake for both sides, and how this strike is testing President Biden ahead of next year's elections. The UAW itself has gone through some somewhat dramatic changes in the past year. They've got new leadership. Can you help us just understand a little bit, how is this form of the UAW different, and how does kind of the idea of striking at three different companies fit into all of that? Yeah, the UAW has had really a radical change in the last year or two. Uh, The previous leadership, a couple of leaders ago, got into trouble through a corruption scandal, a couple of Previous presidents of the United Auto Workers went to prison over that. And then the union, I think the members were frustrated over that corruption scandal. They were frustrated that their last several contracts with the big three automakers did not give them the raises and the benefits that they were looking for. And they really wanted more. And so for the first time this year, they had a direct election of their new president. And what they got was Sean Fain. Uh, We're prepared to do whatever we have to do. So the membership is ready. The membership is fed up. We're fed up with falling behind. It's been decades of falling behind. 
and, 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 and especially this past decade, in the, the most wealthiest times in the history of these companies. There is no excuse. These companies have made... Fain came to power saying that the union had been way too cozy and too complacent with industry for far too long and had not made much of an effort to get back the concessions that they made around the time of the Great Recession when the union gave up some of its best benefits and made some big concessions on pay as well. I am so fascinated by the UAW's new president, Sean Fain. Tell me a little bit more about him, his background, and how he got to this position. So he's, he started out as an electrician at a Chrysler plant in Indiana, where he's from. And he, over time, became a union leader locally and then rose through the union ranks and was ultimately elected president this past spring. Um, he is very fiery in his public rhetoric. He told The Post um, in an interview, actually, that he's quite a quiet person in his personal life. But he's very proud of his union roots. His grandfather was a UAW worker, and he carries his grandfather's pay stub in his pocket. He talks a lot about how those UAW jobs really lifted his family out of poverty uh, back in the 1930s. And he's been dramatically different in his communication strategy. So the union previously didn't speak publicly that much, particularly during negotiations. It would carry out the talks behind closed doors. Fain has bent over backwards to talk to his members constantly. He's always on Facebook Live. It's our labor that drives the company's success. And while the big three executives and the shareholders got rich, UAW members, the workers, got left behind. Our message to the big three is simple and very blunt. Record profits equal record contracts. But apparently... He's quite uh, fiery on the talks. He throws the company's offers into a trash can. His trash can has become this sort of internet meme at this point. You know, he's had a lot of very um, big rallies with people like Bernie Sanders talking about income inequality. Fain himself talks a lot about income inequality and about what he calls the billionaire class, the corporate class, and the need for the UAW to fight for the working class and the poor, he said at one point. He said that the UAW has a mission to fight for the working class and the poor. So he sees this very much as a fight, not just for auto workers, but for um, broader society. You know, when I hear uh, the big three auto workers, I think of car companies in Detroit, the last time I had personally kind of checked in on that was I remember during the Obama administration, these companies were not doing too well. What has been the financial state of these companies in this current moment right now? Yeah, so they, they were doing very poorly just before the Great Recession. And then during the Great Recession, a couple of them were on the verge of bankruptcy and the government bailed them out with lots of uh, federal cash. Since then, they have reorganized. They have focused a lot on very big trucks and SUVs. The pushing of those vehicles has helped these companies regain profitability and return to a period of quite strong profits in recent years. So their profits have gone up a lot. And the union has said, look, during the Great Recession, to save you from bankruptcy, we gave up pensions for many of our workers. We gave up retirement uh, health care. We gave up um, some ground on wages for new employees, and we would like that back now, please, now that you're doing well again. 
So what exactly is the union strategy at this current moment? They represent about 146,000 workers, but my understanding is not all of them are actually striking, correct? So what are they doing right now? That's right. So it's about 8% of that 146,000. And again, that's at one factory for each company. The rest are continuing to work. Uh, and and the union has said, we want, you know, we want everyone else to keep working and but we want you to be ready to strike at a moment's notice if we decide to widen the strike. And they're using that as a as a bargaining tactic in, in the talks. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the average pay for a worker at a factory in a given week right now or in a given pay cycle? Their wages range from $18 to $32 an hour if they are full-time workers. The temporary workers, which is a big sticking point in these negotiations, earn less. They earn somewhere around $16. They start at $16, and they max out at $19. So they're on a lower pay scale with lower benefits, no bonuses. The The full-time workers get 18 to 32 an hour, and then they get profit-sharing checks annually, which in recent years, because the company profits have been really high, have amounted to you know, tens of thousands of dollars over four years per worker. So that's an extra form of of payment for the full-timers, not for the temps. So if you look at just hourly wages, if you're at the $32 an hour for the full-time worker and you work a 40-hour week, it adds up to about $66,000 a year. Mm -hmm. That's for the top pay level for a full-time worker, just including the hourly wages, not the bonuses. So how much are workers getting paid a week in terms of strike pay, and how does that work exactly? So the union has this big war chest. It's $825 million. They call it the strike fund, and they use it to pay workers $500 a week when they are striking because the workers lose their wages from the company when they go on strike. So the workers who have walked off the job are getting now $500 a week, which for many of them is a significant pay cut. Some of the temporary workers who earn very little have said to me, look, that's not that much worse than we would get from working, you know, their take-home pay, because mm-hmm. um, we don't get benefits and we get low wages. So for them, it's it's less painful than it is for the, the full-timers who are taking a significant pay cut to be on strike. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about the workers that you have been speaking with this past weekend. I know you and a couple other Post reporters have been talking to people on the strike line. What are you hearing and what is at the heart of what the UAW is demanding? One of the main things I have heard over the past few weeks from all workers is we want this, they call it the tier structure to end, where new workers and temp workers get paid far less than the the long-term workers. The long-term people, the veterans, say, I don't feel right working next to someone who's earning half the wage that I'm getting, who doesn't get bonuses, who doesn't get the same health care that I do. They say, we want everyone to be on the same tier, on the same level, and certainly the temps and the newer employees who are earning, you know, between 16 and, say, 25 bucks an hour say the same thing. Like, I, you know, some of them work second jobs. And a lot of them will say, I can't afford the cars that we're building. You hear that a lot. These cars have gotten so expensive, and we're building these cars. And I'm making, you know, essentially, like, fast food wages. That's Mm -hmm. not right. Here's Jared, the worker my colleague spoke with. The work that I do, I should be able to be paid a fair wage. Be able to be paid so I can move out and start my own life. But... 
with the wages I'm making now, if I was to move out of my mother's house and try to get an apartment, I would go broke like that. And they just don't, I don't get why corporate don't understand that. Wow. And so the UAW is on strike. Workers are telling you that they can't even afford the cars that they're building themselves. So what is the union's solution to that? What do they say automakers should do to make things fairer for people? The the union came into this asking for a 40% raise over four years. They've since come down to about 36% in negotiations. They've also asked for everyone to get a defined benefit pension again. They want everyone to be on the same wage pay scale. They've asked for things like a 32-hour work week. My sense is maybe that's not as big a demand at this point as it was initially. What is the, what is the logic sort of behind that? I think the logic is, and this is a really important point, is that a lot of these workers have been forced to work 50 or 60 hours a week. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mandatory overtime. Uh, and some of them have more power to say no to that than others. The temps have almost no power. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in talking to these people, they're like, look, I work six days a week, 10 hours a day. Sometimes I work seven days a week, wow. 10 hours a day, and I'm tired. And after a certain point, like, I just cannot do this anymore. I don't see my kids. I don't see my family. Mm-hmm. And so I think the union's point in asking for 32 hours a week was kind of to say, look, we're tired we want reasonable hours. And mm-hmm. so perhaps they put forward something at the very other end of the spectrum to try to end up somewhere in the middle. That's just my guess. Sure. But yeah. And one thing that I hear from a lot of workers, I've even heard this echoed from some Democratic politicians, is that you look at some of the CEOs, take Mary Barra, the CEO of GM, and they've put forward an argument that her pay has gone up 36 percent. Can you help put that claim in context? Is there merit to what they're saying right now? Yeah, the CEO's pay definitely has jumped in recent years. Mary Barra, the the CEO of GM, her total compensation grew by 34% over the last four years to $29 million last year. That includes salary, bonus, stock awards, everything. It was $29 million. Ford's CEO, um, his pay jumped by 21% over the last four years to $21 last year. And so this UAW demand comes amid that. They're saying, look, look at the executives making out like this. Look at executives everywhere earning such good wages. We want a piece of that, too. So in the face of all this, what is the response from the automakers or the CEOs? And have you noticed any shifts in the way that they've approached the UAW's demand since the strike started? Yeah, they've they've certainly raised their wage offer since this began. They started out offering raises of about nine or ten percent over four years. And now we're up to about twenty percent. Um, you know, they've also offered some other sweeteners, including more paid time off and uh, a bit more pay for retirees who are on uh, pensions for, from some of these companies. I think they would argue that they're facing a very competitive environment at the moment. There's a lot of competition, particularly as we switch to electric vehicles, from companies like Tesla. Tesla makes up about two-thirds of EV sales in the U.S., and its workforce is not unionized. And so it has an advantage in having lower labor costs. Also, the overseas automakers that are building EVs in the United States, their factories in the United States typically are not unionized. So Honda, Toyota, Hyundai, Kia, Volkswagen, those are non-unionized facilities, and they do have lower labor costs and therefore an advantage over the Detroit Big Three in the EV competition. They also argue that 
out of these giant profits that they've made in recent years, they've invested a lot of that in the companies. Uh, Ford has particularly made this point over and over again that we have we have spent a lot on building new electric vehicle factories. It, some of the companies, though, have also engaged in share buybacks where they use their profits to buy back their own shares, mm. which raises the value of the shares for stockholders. And that also helps inflate executive pay indirectly because it, it makes the share price go up and that helps the executives earn better bonuses. So, you know, they've used the, the profits in various ways, they would argue, largely to to invest in the future and invest in new factories in the EV business. The union puts the spotlight on the share buybacks and the executive pay as wastes of profits that they could have been spending on the workers. Mm -hmm. So while those negotiations are happening, have we seen any immediate effects of the strike so far? So the main effect that we've seen so far, and this was interesting, is right after, I think it was the same day that the strike began, workers walked out of these three factories and Ford and GM came out and said, look, you've shut down our factories. That means other factories of ours can't keep working because they're not getting the materials they need from the striking plants. Mm. Therefore, we're going to lay off temporarily workers at these non-striking factories. So they have announced that they're laying off about 2,600 people who were not on strike. So that's that's an immediate impact mm-hmm. uh, on the negative side for the workers. Are there concerns that if the strike goes on longer, we do see impacts outside of just the auto industry that spread into the broader economy? There definitely will be impacts. If it, if it spreads wider, if it involves more factories and goes on a long time, it will affect auto parts suppliers. So when a factory, when an auto factory shuts down, it stops ordering parts from the thousands of companies that supply things like rearview mirrors and seats and steering wheels. And they will also need to then idle or lay off their own workers. Uh, We will see people spending less money in these communities at restaurants and bars and shops because they have less money in their pockets. We will see if some of these cars become in shorter supply. And then we'll see things like dealerships, auto dealerships, the sales guy won't get his commission on selling a Chevy truck because there won't be any to sell. And that's all if this stretches on for for a long period of time. After the break, we'll hear how this strike reflects bigger challenges facing the U.S. car makers and the political dilemma it's triggering for President Biden. We'll be right back. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. So, Gene, you mentioned earlier that electric vehicles were a big sticking point in all of this. You referenced Tesla earlier. 
And I know one of the demands from the union is that they want to represent workers at electric vehicle factories. Is that correct? Where do electric vehicles kind of fit into all this? And can you tell me a little bit more about that uh, that demand to represent more workers at these factories? Yeah, that's sort of a longer-term concern hanging over all of these talks. The union is very concerned about the shift to EVs overall. They see that... EVs generally require fewer workers to assemble, and perhaps that means not very good things for their own job security. Uh, A lot of the new EV factories are being built in states, right-to-work states, where where it's harder for unions to organize. What's more, the, the battery factories that Ford, GM, and Stellantis are building in the United States, they tend to be building as um, joint ventures with South Korean companies. And they are not part of the existing national union agreements with the big three. And the Mm -hmm. UAW would like to roll them into the national agreements so that it has more power to bargain for good wages at those factories. And then there's also the concern about what happens to the gasoline-powered factories as they gradually get shut down or retooled, what happens to those workers. So it's it's an enormous long-term concern for the union. Yeah, and it sounds like, and particularly that demand, there's a lot more stakeholders than necessarily just the big three automakers that might have to get on board with that. Yep. I mean, there are the South Korean companies. There are these various southern states that have really rolled out their red carpet for a lot of these EV and battery factories. And and the Biden administration is very much a party to to all of this because we have, in recent legislation, started offering a lot of uh, taxpayer dollars to support the EV industry. And Fain, the union president, has looked at all of this and said, hey, wait a minute, why are we giving away billions of taxpayer money to projects that aren't unionized? And, you know, the Biden administration did try very hard to include in that legislation some terms that would require unionization or support unionization at these plants. And ultimately, they didn't succeed in getting that in the legislation. So they would argue that they did try uh, so that's that's a difficult balancing act for the administration right now. It wants to support this new industry and make sure America is very competitive in this industry at a time when China is really rising as a big EV producer. Um, but Biden also wants to continue supporting the labor movement. So it's a tough balancing act. Yeah. You know, I find that really interesting because my normal job is to really be sort of the politics producer, and that's kind of where my headspace is usually here on Post Reports. So I find where President Biden sits in all this very interesting because on one hand, he pledged to be the most union-friendly president that was out there. What has he said about this strike, and where does the administration sit in this standoff right now? It doesn't have an actual lever it can pull to make the parties come to a deal. But Biden did appoint his long-term advisor, Gene Sperling, an economist who's been a a long-term Democratic advisor, to be his point person to these talks. And he came out last week on Friday after the strike began and said he wants to see the companies share their profits with workers and he wants a resolution that supports middle-class families. And I understand the workers' frustration. Over generations, auto workers sacrificed so much to keep the industry alive and strong, especially through the economic crisis and the pandemic. Workers deserve a fair share of the benefits they help create for an enterprise. He's also been, I think, careful to 
try to mention that, you know, the companies themselves also need to remain competitive because I think he sees the big threat that they are facing from China and other countries that are coming up fast as electric vehicle producers. So I think he's tried to balance all those messages. But in recent days, he's been under more pressure from the union to step up more of his rhetoric in favor of the workers. Gene, what are you looking out for next as you follow this strike? And what are going to be the beats that you look to? The main thing is, does the union expand this? And Fain has said hinted that they could expand within a week or so if they don't make progress at the bargaining table. So we're definitely on the lookout to see, does he announce more factories where their workers will walk out? And of course, we want to see what the companies will do. Will they raise their offers? Will they lay off more non-striking workers? Um, so there's a lot to be, a lot of news probably that will be happening in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, Gene, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. This was fascinating. Sure thing. Thank you. Gene Whalen covers the auto industry for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Emma Talkoff. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Monica Campbell. Thanks to Lauren Kaori Gurley. If you're looking for the latest updates on the big news of the day, check out our morning news briefing, The 7. The podcast is hosted by my colleague and friend, Jeff Pierre, and he brings you the seven stories you need to know about every weekday morning by 7 a.m. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your guest host, Arjun Singh. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.